Classic English Literature Subcast, another place for rhyme to get its reason. Today's episode, Mock Chivalry, the Tournament of Tottenham. I should say at the outset that, uh, to all you Hotspurs fans, this may not be the podcast you're looking for. Today, we're not talking about footy, but about a short 15th century comic poem called The Tournament of Tottenham. I first came across this poem when in graduate school, and my professor said that no one had yet done much scholarly work on this text, and that this might be a good opportunity for a young scholar to earn his spurs, arf arf, by giving it a thorough critical treatment. Now, being a nascent scholar of some ambition, I felt compelled to comb the archives, peruse the manuscripts, amalgamate the critics, to preach the tournament to the world. But I laid down, and the feeling soon passed. And now, here I am, decades later, and the most casual stroll through Google has not revealed all that much research on the poem, and most of that by textual critics from the mid-20th century. So the brass ring comes round again. I could still make my bones as a serious researcher and critic. I feel the need to lie down. But I think I could manage a brief, informal podcast about it. The Tournament of Tottenham was written sometime in the early decades of the 15th century in a northern Middle English dialect. Uh, Even in the modernized version I'm using, some peculiar northernisms have been retained. It's a burlesque of chivalric romance written in a curious hybrid of the Anglo-Saxon alliterative line with really punchy percussive rhymes. It also makes use of the bob-and-wheel stanza form that so characterizes Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Now, I say a burlesque of chivalric romance, but that's not quite right. Let me sketch out the story for you. On a dear day, as the poem says, the laborers around Tottenham, north of London, gather for a great feast. A potter named Perkin sidles up to Randolph the Reeve and says he would like to know who, among all the men gathered, would be the best husband for the Reeve's daughter, Tib. Now, of course, he feels he knows the right answer. Quote, to Tib I have height that I should always be ready in my right. The rest of the assembly clamors. How dare a mere potter presume to the lovely Tib? Quote, we are richer men than he and more good halves of cattle and corn. Then said Randolph the Reeve, ever be he wearied, that about this carping longer would be tarried. I would not that my doctor that she were miscarried, but at her most worship I would she were married. Therefore a tournament shall begin, this day seven night, with a flail for to fight, and he that is of most might shall brook her with win. So, on the day marked for the tournament, the countrymen gather in ridiculous arms. They wear bulls for helmets, use farming tools as lances, winnowing fans as breastplates, flails as... flails, I suppose. On the sidelines, mounted on a gray mare with a sack of seeds for a saddle, waits the wondrous Tib, complete with a hen and a spotted sow, a dizzying dowry. Quote, A gay girdle Tib had on, borrowed for the nonce, and a garland on her head full of round bones, and a brooch on her breast full of sapphire stones, 
and the holy road tokening was written for the nonce. No cattle was there spared when Jolly Jib saw her there. He gird her so grey mare that she led a falcon fair at the rearward. Now you remember those lingering descriptions of the ladies' accoutrements in romances like Lanval or Gowan and the Green Knight? This is the upside down of that, you know, uh, though Tibbs' farting horse is an original touch. Each of the combatants make their formal boasts before their lady, vowing to God to fight boldly. Notably, one young fella, Terry, plans to, quote, take Tib by the hand and her away lead. That sounds rather like a kidnapping. We get declarations of hardihood, the excellence of horses and prowess. When the melee begins, despite the silliness of its circumstances, we get real violence, some pretty graphic wounds. The women of Tottenham have to come with wheelbarrows, sledges, and hurdles, quote, their husband's home to fetch. Now, why husbands are fighting in a tournament for the right to marry the Reeves' daughter is never made clear, though I imagine the wives did a fair degree of interrogating. At the end of the fight, of course, Perkin is triumphant. He takes Tib home for the evening, bit of a try-before-you-buy incentive. They approve of each other and live happily ever after with, of course, the farting mare, the hen, and the spotted sow following a splendid wedding feast in which the crutch-leaning guests split an egg five ways. I suppose there's a reason scholars have conserved their ink when it comes to the Tournament of Tottenham. Its humor relies on broad caricature, makes Saturday Night Live seem subtle and nuanced by comparison. This is parody, not satire. In the latter... The mockery intends some positive social or personal transformation. Parody is just mockery because it's fun. And this is a silly bit of fun. Think of some old Mel Brooks films or the Warner Brothers cartoons of the mid-20th century. The point is to laugh together knowingly at the humorous references. If you look carefully at the text, it does seem structured for some public reading or performance. It's composed in a strange nine-line stanza, the first four of which have something of that old English alliterative line. But each line rhymes with an identical end stop. And then there's a series of five trimeter lines, the first and fifth of which rhyme, while the second, third, and fourth share their own rhyme. It's actually quite a complex prosody, a rather deft blending of alliterative and accentual verse with a bobbin wheel and a rhyme scheme whose seeming simplicity artfully deceives while those percussive sounds relentlessly drive the silliness forward. This stanza is almost breathlessly accumulative in the way it hurdles the action on, like a snowball swelling as it rolls off the mountain. Here's a description of the melee itself. I wot it is no children's game when they together met, when H. Afrake in the field on his fellow bait, and laid on stiffly for nothing would they let, and fought fairly fast till their horses sweat, and few words spoken, there were flails all to slattered, there were shields all to clattered, bowls and dishes all to battered, and many heads broken. Now we can also see how the poem lends itself to public recital or performance. Now note those blustering speeches offered by each of the prospective warriors. 
Now, we can easily imagine folks declaiming these in a tavern or an inn-yard or at some village festival. We do have an interesting hint that the role-playing potential of the poem actually made for public entertainment at Rougemont Castle in either 1432 or 33. There's an entry in the Exeter Receiver's account rolls which witnesses the payment of 20 pence, quote, given to players playing in the castle concerning the tournament of Tottenham by order of the mayor. Now, this actually introduces a kind of a chicken-and-the-egg conundrum. Since the text we have is obviously a narrative poem and not a script, what has this Rougemont performance to do with our little burlesque? Was the poem extant and its latent theatrical possibilities embroidered by a few professional show-offs? Or was there a tradition of performance that some single poet adapted, a bit like novelizing a film nowadays? Alas, we may never know. But I am happy to report that I have resolved the chicken and the egg enigma. Obviously, the egg came first because breakfast comes before lunch. The last question to ponder is, if this is a parody, who is it ridiculing? I titled this episode Mock Chivalry Knowingly. If I think of mock as an adjective, then the poem is mocking these silly country bumpkins for their coarse impersonation of aristocratic manners and customs. Silly peasants aping their betters. But if we take mock as a verb, then the poem takes the piss out of every story you've ever heard about King Arthur or Lancelot or Gawain or Charlemagne or Orlando. It strips the glamour from a chivalry that is, at base, a vulgar brawl. I suspect that the Tournament of Tottenham is an early example of bourgeois parody. Middle-class merchants, landowners, and artisans punching up and punching down at the same time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Classic English Literature Subcast. Thank you so much for your support. Please feel free to get in touch any way that suits, email, social media, a loud shout from your window. If you'd be so kind, please leave a positive review on whichever podcatcher you're listening to. Yeah, please. Yeah, go ahead. Do it now. No, I'll wait. Thanks, everyone. Really appreciate it. I'll talk to you next time.